Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Thank you for joining us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for today and for joining us here, Lord. We invite you here, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us. Bless our time here. And Lord, let people out there that really need to hear your message um, be there to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, we're we're in Psalm 88 today. And, um, you know, the Sons of Korah wrote this. And I, I was just telling my special guests that, didn't realize that they had anything to do with writing any of the Psalms because I thought the Korah and like his whole family went down, um, you know, that story where uh, Moses came down from the hill and there was this golden calf and, and they sinned against God. And I thought they all went into the ground, you know, when the ground opened up, but apparently he had some sons that didn't go in. No sense killing the whole family, I guess. I'm sorry. Um, But we're in, Psalm 88, and it was written um, by the Psalm, um, by the sons of Korah. So verse one, and specifically, there were three sons. Specifically, it was um, Heman, one of the sons of Korah. So this is it. And they were in the worship band or the worship group for David, King David. Okay, here we go. Lord, give us understanding of your word. Verse one, O Lord, the God who saves me night and day. I cry cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near to the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead. Like the slain, who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest steps. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You have overwhelmed me with your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. Wow. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Selah. Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in dark places? Or are your righteous deeds in the the land of the oblivion? But I cry to you, Lord, for help in the morning. My prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me, the darkest the darkness is my closest friend. Wow, that is such a heavy psalm. And you know, he's writing that from the depths of his heart, he's suffering. And it's interesting because some of the psalms start out in a really, you know, praiseful way, and then it gets dark, and then it ends with a praiseful way or a blessing to the Lord. But this entire psalm is just him in despair. And doesn't even end on a good note, like, you know, and praise you, God, or I love you, Lord, or, you know, something. There's nothing. He is just in despair. And I know for some of you, you've been there. You've cried out to him and you really feel like, does he even hear us? Um, and and don't get to the place that now you start blaming God for your your situation and your despair, because God hears that. He hears you 
He never turns away from you. He hears every word of this kind of, I mean, he bottles our tears. That's how much he cares for us. And he puts them in heavenly places for us. Anyhow, he loves you. If you're in this type of despair, do not give up hope. Continue to cry out to God and he will answer you. Believe me. Um, Anyway, Lord, thank you for your word. As tough as it was to hear. Jesus name. I do want to introduce you to our special guest. She is, well, let me just tell you, I I think it was, I want to say 10 years ago that I went to one of her um, uh, fundraising dinners because she put together in, in the Inland Empire two separate pregnancy centers and was raising funds for those to keep it going. And so that's that's the first time I ever met her. But she's been involved in this for a long time. She's written a book, which is coming out later. Um, she goes to the same church we do, I mean, that I do. And we know some of the same people. So welcome, Norma Padilla. Thank you for having me. I'm so blessed to be here. Wow, thank you. And we're blessed to have you. Um, I do want to, for the people that don't know you, Tell us a little bit about your background, like where you were born. Did you go to church at all? Who was Jesus to you? Um, so let's start from there. Sure. Well, um, I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico, oh. for some of my New Mexico friends out there. <laughs> oh, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yes. And um, my parents were married um, and got divorced when I was eight. Uh, my my dad was an alcoholic, a raging alcoholic and a womanizer, um, often abandoned us and, you know, because he'd go on a drinking binge or whatever. And by the way, my dad had accepted the Lord before he passed away. Oh, yeah, I got God. to lead him to the Lord. Wow, that's great. So I, it's kind of hard sometimes to talk about your parent that way, but it is who it molds you to what you are today, to what we are today. Yeah. So anyway, um, so my mom packed up the kids, us three of us. I'm the oldest of three girls. And um, she brought us to California where my other family had come. And so um, we moved into Montebello and um, in California. And um, I started school there. Um, we lived in an apartment and did for a very long time. Well, probably always. I grew up in an apartment in Montebello. My mom was a working mom. She, she worked. She had to. She was a single mom. Um, we didn't always get support from my dad. He was in between jobs all the time and so forth. Um, so with that comes kind of a, a desire, a loss of not having a dad or a father figure in, the, in your life. So um, we all know families like that. We know kids like that. That was us. Um, so what happens when you're not, um, well, let me go back a little bit to my I was raised a Catholic, but not a practicing Catholic, but, you know, I made my first communion and, you know, mm-hmm. confirmation and so forth. Um, so I did have a religious background, so to speak, as a Catholic. And who did I think God was? Um, to me, God was that big power that you can't reach, the big man in the sky that you can't touch. But be careful if you do anything wrong, because he's going to come down hard on you. Mm-hmm. So... um one thing that I've learned, and this is kind of moving ahead a little bit, is one thing I did learn was that we often view God the way we view our earthly father. Mm-hmm. So we always compare the two. So if my dad, which he was a raging alcoholic, would come down hard when we did something wrong, but not yeah. in a natural way, right? So, um, so we often look at God that way, like, oh, man, I better not do anything wrong. Like, you know, because he's really just going to lay the hammer down and that's it. Mm-hmm. He'll never love me again. Mm-hmm. So anyway. And might even leave. Yes. Abandon. And, yeah. Abandon you because you've mm-hmm. done so many things. Yes. So, so yeah. being brought up like that uh, without a father figure um, and not knowing who God really is because we weren't Christians. So or an understanding of God who was who is I'm sorry, who God is. So, um, like I always say, you start looking for acceptance, approval, you start looking for love in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And so that was my, my journey. And so I'm, I'm a lot of people, a lot of girls go through this. It's my story is not unique, but, um, you know, you start looking for 
you know, the first guy who says, wow, you're really pretty, or I really like you. And you don't get that from a male figure, or maybe not even your own mother, because she's so busy, or maybe she just wasn't raised that way. Mm -hmm. So then you start falling for that. And next thing you know, something you think somebody loves you and you know, you're doing everything to try to please that person. So that was me at 14 in a relationship that my mom had forbid me to be in. And it was a neighbor. So an older, per, um, not that much older, but just an older, wiser, a, an older person. <laughs> and so um, that led me down the path of, you know, having sex and because I wanted to be accepted. I'm not using that as an excuse, but that really was what it was is mm-hmm. showing like maybe this person will really love me if I do this, if I do what they want. Mm-hmm. And um, so from that point on that led down a path of um, I don't know, let me know if I'm going too far and you No, um, you're, you're great. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. And so um, that led me down um, a path of using abortion as a means of birth control um, because I'd find myself pregnant, but then I didn't want to tell my mom So I didn't want to be on the birth control pill because first of all, I was 15 or 16 and what doc, I I had no idea where you go. You can't tell your parent, like take me to the doctor to get the birth control pill because I didn't want her to know that I was having sex. So there's a lot of secrecy, a lot of hiding. Um, Plus you think the sky is your all in all. Yes. And you don't want to lose him by, you know, telling your parents or your mother because she might say you've got to break up with the sky. So you you want to keep it all under the table and it's quiet. But let me just, f- f- as a novice here, how do you get an abortion when you're underage? Is was is California that liberal that you know you you can be under eighteen and and not have to have a parent's signature to get an abortion? Yeah. So this was like forty five years ago, and um, yeah, you can you can. Or do you have to lie to do that? Uh, no. Okay. I don't think they even ask you the question now that now that you bring it up i don't remember that being asked interesting no okay so you've had you know a couple of abortions several abortions and and you've hidden this Mm -hmm. and so you graduate from high school um no i did find myself pregnant at 16 and 17 was when i was supposed to be graduating so um that year my son was born and um but prior to that i had an abortion and then my mom wanted me when she, well, first of all, the father of my child, which was the boyfriend, wanted me to get an abortion. Um, I wanted to place my child in adoption. Um, my mom didn't know that I was pregnant till I was like six months old, six months along. So um, it was just one of those things like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. So I ended up because it, I was six months along, I ended up keeping my son. Well, yeah, I don't, it just worked out that way that God allowed that to happen at that moment or not allowed it, but I just waited so long. Otherwise I probably was going to go get an abortion. So, um, so that time of the undecided. Now at that time, I'm sure there were laws in place that said you could not have an abortion past certain term. Is that why, or you just didn't feel like you could actually no, there weren't any laws. Oh, wow. But in your head, you kind of think there are because you're in the abortion clinic and they're telling you, hurry up, make this decision. Yeah. So then and then you hear things, you know, everywhere. Um, So then you think there is a time limit. So here you are, you're 16 or 17 and you're supposed to graduate, but you're pregnant. You decide to keep this child Mm -hmm. and you you, you obviously have to tell your mom now there's no graduation that's going to happen. Yes, it was a very hard year. It was a very sad year. Yeah. Well, I saw all my friends going to the prom, grad night, and games, and you know, homecoming games and homecoming dances and so forth. And I didn't get to participate in that. So immediately, I felt like an outcast, you know, from the rest of the group. And of course, I had friends that were saying, "Well, you should have just got an abortion," mm-hmm. which you know, because that was the thing everybody was saying. Then I remember walking into the doctor's office when I got. Uh, anytime I went in for a pregnancy test, like the female doctor, somewhat OBGYN. But now that I look back, it was actually a clinic for women who would refer to abortions. So I I do remember looking up on the wall at the list of means of birth control. 
And guess what was up there? Abortion. Mm -hmm. So how could that be, you know, in your mind, you're thinking, how could that be wrong? It's on, I'm in a doctor's office. It's on the list. They went for this big degree. They know more than I do. Why should I think that this is bad? Right. So they're, they're trying to help me. Yeah. So along with the pill, the IUD, the um, diaphragm, there it is, abortion. So I thought, oh, just in your mind already, you're just thinking, oh, that's normal and it's legal. So why is that? I don't think it's wrong if it's, but you know, so. um, So you have this child, you're regretful that you've had to lose out on the prom and your friends are all having a grand time going, going, I mean, senior year, that's your best year of your life, right? you're thinking and 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 you you're missing out on all of this and so you have this child in hopes to give him away or her away um and so what happens um i did have an aunt and uncle who wanted if if the yeah they would have taken my child but of course once you have your child it's really hard to part and then by then my mom was supportive and she was going to help obviously i mean families do come together and they end up helping Um, But I was stuck in this very um, difficult relationship. It was very abusive. Um, As soon as I became pregnant, uh, the father of the baby became very abusive with me physically. Mm -hmm. So I really did not think I was going to live past 20. Um, There was a lot of death threats on my life. Um, You know, he was under the influence of alcohol and drugs. Um, I was kind of naive to all of that. So I had no idea what to expect. So if... If someone was going to threaten me, I was going to stand up to them, not realizing you're dealing with somebody who's under the influence or whatever. And so, um, yeah, I got physically hurt quite a bit to the point where um, he actually tried to, he burned down the house that we were living in together. And um, wow. yeah, I and left my son in the crib. And it was just like one of those things out of a movie yeah. that even talking about it, it it just seems like such a strange, like that wasn't even me. And it was, you know, I, I'm totally different now, obviously, but it's just like who, what life was that, you know? Right. Who does that kind of stuff? Yeah. You only see this in the movies, but was your son hurt? No, he wasn't. Okay. And where were you at the time? Um, I ran out to, uh, there was an argument and of course back then we didn't have cell phones. And so I ran out to use the payphone down the street and, um, to have my mom come pick me up. And um, when I returned back to the house, which I just, I walked, you know, um, when I returned back to the house, the house was in flames. And and you run in to get your son. Well, uh, you know, I'm standing there and I'm just thinking, oh, where's my son. He? Yeah. You know, where is he? And so um, door was locked, but there's, um, there was a window uh, on the door. So I broke that open and ran in and my son was in his crib and the fire was in the front of the house, not in the back of the house where his bedroom was at, where his nursery was. Wow. So yeah. you saved his life twice. One from abortion, one from this fire. Wow. That hits me really hard that somebody would be that weird, that cold, that hurtful, that they would allow their only son at the time, maybe, to, to go in this flames just because they're mad. Wow. That's creepy. But okay, so you and your son make it through that horrible time. What happens after that? Are you do you go back to your mom's house? Yeah, I I was take um yeah, I no longer went back and once this person tried to hurt my son, I mean, there was definitely threats on my life and physical abuse on, on toward me. But when it came to my son, I was like that's it. I'm not doing this. And so this had been a course of maybe four years, you know, so 14 to, you know, 17, 18 years. I was 18. Um, Oh, you were in this relationship with the same person. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So now you decide you're you're done with him. Mm -hmm. And I, I do know you moved to Hawaii with your with your son. Is this when you pack up and go? No, not not then. So I um, yeah, so I am. kind of went into hiding, lived with one of my friends and because he was stalking me, looking for me and so forth. And, but I said, no, I know I don't want anything to do with you. And I lost, I I didn't want to even communicate. So because of that, um, he committed suicide. Oh my goodness. Wow. And so, um, 
that, that was, throws you into another whole spiral um, that, uh, oh gosh, at 18, you don't have to go through, but here it is. You're, you're exposed to all of this. Yeah. So I, I hate to say, but at least, but I'm going to say, but at least you, you've got your safety back, don't you? Yeah. Well, I did feel that way. And remember, I'm not a Christian at this time in my life. Um, in fact, I felt like there was no hope for me. And I, like I said, I felt like I was going to, he was going to end my life. This man would murder me by my, by the time I was 18 or 20. And so I had no hope and I didn't know Jesus. So I kept thinking like, why is this? I I felt something evil, really. I felt like maybe this dark cloud following me everywhere. Yeah. And I just kept thinking I must belong to this darkness, you know? So I really started to think that God chose other people, but not me. See, so my misunderstanding of God was way off as well because this stuff was happening, but it was all stemmed from my choices. So, um, but anyway, so once he passed away, I did feel a relief and, um, but you know, it just kind of took me down a, um, a trail of grief. A lot of bad things happened in a very short time. So I never got to grieve them. And, um, I just remember saying, I'll never go through this again. Like no one's ever going to do this to me again. And um, so anytime I had a long-term relationship or whatever, and I, because again, I was still looking for acceptance. I was looking for love. I was looking for, you know, the knight in shining armor, so to speak. But then I wasn't trusting anyone. So if I got pregnant again, I was not using birth control. Um I I just, I was very uneducated. I didn't know that if this pill doesn't work, you use this pill or try this pill or that pill. Um, So I always just felt like the pill made me sick. So, and again, remember that list of birth control abortion was on it. So your go-to thing was to have another abortion. Yes. Okay. So um, how is it, I want to get to the place that you are are in Hawaii, you spend a year there. Mm -hmm. That That's not running away from this guy. It just is an opportunity happened and you go to Hawaii for a year. Yeah. Well, because I had a lot of unmet grief, um, I started getting depressed and um, losing uh, my hair. And I was working two jobs because I'm a single mom and I was working two jobs and I did not want to collect money from the government. I I wanted to be able to put my son in private school as well. And so um, I wanted him to be in Christian school interesting. I know that was like my drive. It's like, I'll do whatever it takes to put him in Christian school. Maybe I'll never make it to heaven, but he will. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So um, anyway, so things started getting a little stressful, working two jobs, um, trying to find babysitters. Uh, That was a weird thing. Like nowadays you wouldn't even call anybody in the penny saver. Who remembers a penny saver, Yeah. you know, to get a babysitter. I mean, but I did that and it, it was very stressful. So I had an aunt and uncle who lived in Hawaii. Um, she married a Japanese Hawaiian um, man. They're wonderful people. And um, she said, you know, what is, she's like a big sister to me, actually. And so she said, why, what's going on with you? Why are you so stressed? Why are you having such trouble? You know, why don't you come to Hawaii? You know, we'll get you a job, bring Jason um, and we'll, you know, just have a different change of pace, just do something different. Um, so I sold everything. I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a lot, but I sold, you know, like my little car and I might've kept it in the family. I don't know. So that I could have a car if I come back, but you know, I sold all my little possessions that I did have and, um, you know, went to Hawaii and I just thought, yeah, she got me a job right away. I got a little car. I was living with them, which was a little difficult because, you know, if, if anybody's been to Hawaii, the homes are not that big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so well, they are now, but yeah, back then yeah, people lived in very modest homes. Yeah. Back, uh, back then it's like, if it's a three bedroom house, it's huge. It's a, yeah, it's huge, but it's really small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, I was very grateful. It was a change. It was really awesome. So one, so my son and I would go down to the beach. Of course I was working a lot because you have to work a lot when you're in Hawaii, but, um, we were sitting, I was sitting on, I think it was Diamond Head area on the beach. And my son was down there boogie boarding. I was just sitting there with a book. And I remember looking up in the sky and just looking at the blue sky, the beautiful sky of many of you have been to Hawaii. You just, you're just, the, the beauty is just breathtaking. I looked down at the beach, the white sands, the blue water. And I just thought, you know what? There is a God. There is a God. Cause look at this beauty. 
So God started to work on me in Hawaii. So I do have to say that that is when he started wooing me, calling me. Well, I'm, I'm sure that he was before. But when you felt it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, you know, so if I didn't have that opportunity, I'm sure God would have got my attention some other way. But just the beauty of the island and me having this, not being surrounded with this drama and all the stuff that I left behind, I didn't have any friends there anymore. I didn't have people in my, I didn't have extra family there anymore. Mm -hmm. So God was able to speak to me. I was finally able to listen without all the noise. And so, um, you know, I, a year later, I got a little island fever, obviously. And, um, if everybody knows me, I'm a very social person. It's very hard for me to live on an island. And so, um, I just came back, um, a year later and got a job right away kind of recovered some of my possessions, got back on my feet with a fresh new outlook on life. And um, that's when I met uh, my husband, my now husband. And uh, it was it was wonderful so to be back. Yeah. So let's fast forward. You meet your husband, you get married. Um, but then you, you accept the Lord. And tell us how that happened. Yeah. So um, my husband had never been married before. And um, he's Japanese- American, fifth generation, I believe. And so um, he was brought up in a very non-conflict home, <laughs> um, unlike my background. <laughs> so um, I was really attracted to that, like his stability and everything. And so um, we had some friends that thought we'd make a good couple. And so um, I agree. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. And so um, I realized that God had brought me a man who would never hurt me. I don't know. It was like going from not trusting anybody to this person. I immediately, God gave me trust for him. And I was surprised at that. I didn't have to work through it. I didn't have to go to counseling. I didn't, you know, um, but I wanted, I knew that I wanted to take care of this relationship because I was scared of the divorces that I saw, like in my, you know, my mom was married and divorced three times and I didn't want that. Um, so I thought, okay, I had family who were praying for our salvation, just our entire family's salvation from family members who were saved. And so I believe that those prayers were, were answered. And I just thought, you know, I just remember people saying, well, if you have God in the center of your life for your marriage, you know, it's going to be great. So that's what I was seeking. Yeah. Desiring. Seeking, desiring and thinking, yeah. And I did not want to mess up this relationship with, with my husband. Um, and so that is what led me to accept Jesus. So some of my friends and I who grew up together, we didn't, we, we weren't Christians, but we said, Hey, we've heard about this church over in uh, West Covina and it's Raw Reese. And we listened to him on the radio once in a while. And so we said, well, January was coming up. I, always, I was famous for making little new year's resolutions. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to stay away from candy. I'm going to turn over a new leaf, you know? And so uh, January was coming around and we said, why don't we go to church on January 1st or whatever it was? You the know? first Sunday of the month. Yeah, the first Sunday of the month. And then that's when um, I accepted the Lord. It was like, okay, time for a change. Um, and it was really cool because the first question I asked the follow-up counselor, the person that comes up and you pray with afterwards is, does God forgive for abortion? And she goes, oh yeah, of course. So I was like, okay, I'm good. Wow. So that was heavy on your heart. And now it was, it was off your chest. That's great. So I thought, oh, okay. So when does your husband accept the Lord? Um, does he, he go to church with you? Well, he, he wasn't um, at the time because of his, his work schedule. He was sleeping during the day and he worked um, early morning hours. He's a police officer. So he worked early morning, which meant he went in at night and worked all. So then he slept during the day. So, so no. how much longer does it take for him to accept Jesus as his Savior? Well, it took him six months mm -hmm. um, to where he was able to get time because uh, their schedules rotate. So he was finally off on a Sunday mm -hmm. and then he went to church with me. But I, I I did the famous, you know, Christian zealous wife thing like you need Jesus. <laughs> and then he'd be like, why? You know, and so I'm a pretty good person, you know, right. and um. But I, I kept saying, no, everybody does. But I didn't know how to explain it because, you know, I was a very new Christian. 
And so, and I thought, well, maybe he's right. Like, he's a pretty good guy. He's an, a, like moral and works hard. And see, I just didn't have an understanding. So anyway, but um, six months later, I think it was Father's Day weekend, we went and uh, we were sitting there hearing the message. And when they did the altar call, you know, he squeezed my hand and we went up to the altar. Um, yeah to accept the Lord. And that was really a blessing too. Yeah. Okay. So I do know that um, when I met you, you were involved in, in the two different um, pregnancy centers. Mm -hmm. So tell me what gets you started on that. So you're saved. You're going to a, 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 you know, really good church. You get involved in ministry and, and it, it, it turns into a different ministry. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that and, and how the ministry grows and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, yep. So of course I, when I became a Christian, I was like, I want to be a missionary. I want to do everything. You know, I was at church like Monday, I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday services, small groups. And I could do that because my husband was working. And so, um, I thought, okay, we need to find a ministry that we can both go to. So we went to a law enforcement ministry and I saw my husband kind of bond um, really well with these men. And I thought, oh, that's good. So anyway, we uh, moved out of the area and came to Calvary Chino Hills. And it was a very small, it had just moved out of the house. And of course, it was a very, um, there were hardly any ministries. So um, we were approached and asked to teach parenting classes and law, head up the law enforcement ministry. And then my husband went on like five Russia trips with Pastor Jack. Um, so we did that. We were in leadership right away. <laughs> it was like, huh. So, um, but it was, it was great. I mean, those were formative years. We learned so much. Um, I learned so much. And it was, it was great. It was wonderful. Our kids were all little. We have four children. Um, they were little and we just pack them up and take them with us. And then, you know, I helped start the um, uh, homeschool group there. Oh, homeschool. Yeah, the homeschool. I didn't know that. Yeah, we had, uh, we don't have one, right? I mean, we do, but anyway, we did have another one. Excuse me, sorry. Well, okay, so you you started, you were doing the law enforcement, <coughs> and you were also doing um, that other ministry, but then you do the parenting ministry, and that then turns into the ministry for preg the pregnancy centers? Okay, so um, while I was in leadership, and, uh, you know, I just kept, this issue of abortion just kept coming up, but I don't want to face it. Like if, if I would hear somebody talk about their, like, just say, Hey, you know, I had an abortion. It would really um, do something inside of me, like start to affect me. <clears throat> and, um, but I didn't know what that was. But then as my kids grew, um, I started to feel, I, I started falling into this depression and I didn't know where it was coming from, but I just thought, well, it's because of my past. I really, you know, had a lot going on in my past. So it must be my past that causes all this, you know, down and mm -hmm. then self-hatred almost, mm -hmm. you know. So I'm sitting in church sometimes and I'm looking at other women and, you know, like maybe you and I'd say, wow, Lord, you really love Rhody because you're using her mildly. Like she is on a radio station. She's, you know, heads up the Bible study group. She this or that, even though I was being used. Mm -hmm. But you always compare your... Um, insides with everybody else's outsides mm -hmm. is what I tell the ladies that I speak to. And um, I just, it, and it's, it's self-destruction really. Mm -hmm. And um, that started to get really dark, you know, and um, I went to a banquet to go hear about um, oh, like how I met Rhody at a pregnancy center fundraising banquet. And so I heard this lady share her abortion testimony, how she had an abortion and it just did something to me. Like I just started getting this migraine, backache, nausea, nausea. I was, I felt terrible. I felt like someone had stuck a knife in my back. And I thought, you know, where's this coming from? So I bought her book and there was a brochure about a post-abortion ministry, a healing group. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange to have something for that. Like, isn't the Bible enough, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, that was it. And from then I picked up the brochure, bought her book, um, didn't even read it, didn't look at it, shoved it in a door, drawer. But then I started to experience immense symptoms of headaches, backaches, insomnia, depression, thoughts of suicide, like 
all the time. It got to the point where I was thinking, how could I, how could I end my life today? Do I have to wake up today, God? I don't want to wake up. And I'm sorry, the fact that my children were here, that wasn't enough. You know how some people say, well, you're, you have your kids. You should. It wasn't that. I always, I felt like my kids would be better off if I wasn't here. My husband would be better off if I wasn't here. I wouldn't be, they wouldn't have to live with such a troubled person. So how do you find help? So I, one day when I was just really, really, really in a dark place where I really contemplated how, you know, would I go take a bottle of pills? Would I jump off a cliff? Yeah. Drive off a freeway bridge. Yeah. Um, Obviously we have guns in our house um, because my husband's a police officer. I mean, the fact that I had to, that I entertained that that much was a lot, was not a good place to be. And so um, I, I picked up this brochure, I called the number and I said, I th- from the book. Yes. Okay. And I said, I think I need, I think I need to come and see what you guys have to offer. I, I don't think this is going to help me, but I'm willing to find out because I was in a very dark place. Like if I did not get there, I think I would have probably done something, you know? So um, I show up and I, I go there and you have to do this questionnaire, like how many abortions have you had? And, you know, it's just kind of a, like just to get a background of you, I'm, you know, the participants. And so um, I didn't know how many really, because, mm-hmm. you know, who's counting. Yeah. It, it, it's just one, it's just a number. So you fill it out and what happens? So I'm in this group the first night and um, a lot of tears, a lot of crying. We're all looking at each other like, ah, you know, and, but for the first time where I'm around other women who are talking about it and it's a safe place. And so there's about 10 of us in there. But that night I go home and, you know, I wept a lot. Every, all of us did. It was the first night we wept and wept and wept. I get home. I go to sleep. I sleep through the entire night. Mm-hmm. I don't get a migraine from all of the crying that I did at this group in this group, mm-hmm. which I couldn't even hardly, I'd, I'd have migraines. Like I want to say three weeks out of the month. And so I'd go down, you know, they got so bad where I'd run out of medication and then I'd have to go into ER and they'd have to give me um, an IV of uh, whatever to, I can't remember what it's called now, but you know, like really strong medicine for the migraine. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I found myself doing that prior to that, going to ER a lot to go get the um, injection uh, to, to get the pain medicine. And so, um, but anyway, I no longer had migraine headaches after that. I mean, I get them now, but that's because maybe I've had too much sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it had nothing to do with stress anymore. So that night, I really believe God healed me spiritually, physically, emotionally, and mentally in one night. Wow. Yeah. The rest, of it, there's still a journey, but I was able to sleep every night. And then it was two weeks and three weeks and four weeks. I was able to sleep like a baby. No more So it games. tells me that even though um, you were, a whole lot of time had passed since you've had these abortions. Mm-hmm. That was wearing on you, your 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 soul, to mm-hmm. the point that you were getting these headaches and backaches and not being able to sleep. And, and what you thought you were shoving in the corner or shoving down so far that it wasn't going to come up was really trying to erupt and get out of your, get, get, get taken mm-hmm. care of. So, yeah. um, so then you start this ministry? Yeah, but because I was so excited of the healing God, um, you know, if we have unmet grief, it's not normal to abort your children. Um, we are born to be mothers. We're born to be, we're n- nurturers. It's not normal to take life of your children. And this is what happens. So the sin unconfessed and unmet, you know, undealt with causes this pain. So um, I just thought, well, maybe I, I never thought anybody else needed it. I was more concerned that I needed this. But when people would look for me at church or wherever and say, well, when are you guys starting those parenting classes? The Lord said, tell them what you're doing. So when I say that, you know, I'm going through this healing process regarding abortion and that I've made the choices of my past, then women would open up to me and start to tell me their stories. And they'd say, I've never told anybody this. So the freedom that was given to them by me sharing, that's why I'm here today. Um, the freedom that was given to them and to me. Because every time I shared my story, the darkness diminished. And so it was a very needed ministry that 
couple of years down the road, the Lord allowed me to open the doors for me to help these women through the healing process. So once these women come out of this, when they, they have this bit of freedom and they're no longer in bondage to this, to their past, they want to do something. Let's go save babies. <laughs> Let's go do this. Let's go do that. So then I had another thing I needed to deal with. It was like, well, now what do we do? Um, let's let's go to the abortion clinic, clinic and pray and help save babies' lives and women from this ugliness of abortion. So we did that. And our, the very first time we went, we had a girl that we rescued. And um, she was 14 years old. She was pregnant. And we were just standing there praying. And, of course, every car that walked in, we were like, don't do it. You know, talk to us, you know. And so um, we know how it is. And so this girl, she changed her mind that day. And that was one of my clients that I was able to take to Washington, D.C. to Babies Go to Congress. It was something called Babies Go to Congress. They still do it. So I got to take her and go to our representatives' offices, our California representatives, to say, look, this is what we need. We need to help women. Look at this child. And he was like five by the time we took him, um, Michelle and Michael. And, um, and then it was really cool because when we were there, they offered her internship jobs. They wow. said, if you would like to come back and be an intern, we're more than, you know, you just, what God does with, um, you know, brings you, it's like, um, I heard you say a while ago, darkness is, is his closest friend. I don't know what you were reading, but yeah, that became that darkness that I was in. It became my friend because God did something there. It was an ugly place to be, but he brought forth fruit and God wants to set us free. So, but he has to take us down that path, but we also have to be willing to admit and to ask for forgiveness, but to accept God's forgiveness. See, that's where we go wrong. We go, okay, God forgave me, but then you take it back mm -hmm. because abortion is just, that's just not, that's like the ultimate sin. Mm -hmm. That's what we think. Mm -hmm. But we know that there is not one sin that can keep us from the love of God. Right, right. Okay, boy, that's a, such a journey. Now, I do know that you're doing something else with um, trying to save babies' lives. And your focus right now is more in of training churches on how to put like a, a, a team together or something together for them to either start a clinic or to help people, women who have had abortions and counsel them mm -hmm. through it. Mm -hmm. and how to start those groups. So tell us a little bit about that in our last five minutes. Okay. Um, one thing that I did not mention, which was pretty powerful, is we did open up a preg Well, we opened up one pregnancy center. Then there was another abortion clinic that closed in Los Angeles County. And God allowed us to go in there and replace that with a pregnancy care center, with a pro-life center. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. So do you see what God wants to do when we're willing and we're and we're broken and he repairs us and he puts us back together, almost like Humpty Dumpty, you know? Yeah. And so, but anyway, that, so now that is saving babies' lives. So because of that, God took me out of running the pregnancy centers and now I'm a consultant helping others and helping um, continue to heal women, bring them through the healing process, through my story. And that's why um, everywhere that I spoke, people would say, well, do you have a book? Do you have a book? No, I don't have a book. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I need to pay attention and I need to write this stuff down. And so that people can have something to go home with and um, maybe pass it on to someone else. It's not because I think I can write a book. I, I actually can't, but um, God can. He can do all things through Christ. What is the name of the book? Because it hasn't come out yet. So we'll look for it once it does. And you're hoping to bring it out in January. So what is the name of the book? Yes, it's called Fearless, Redeemed, and Chosen. Fear, Fearless, Redeemed, and Chosen. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. By Norma Padilla. Yes. Okay. So we'll look for that in January. But finish your story as to how you go to the different churches. I know that you're being connected with a lot of the Calvary chapels mm -hmm. all over the United States. And, and what is, what is your purpose in going and what do you do? Um, well, if I get invited to share, like I'm sharing right now mm -hmm. on your station, I'll, I'll share the very same testimony to a group of women or whatever. And so some women uh, want to, or the churches want to start their post-abortion ministries. Um, and then they want to start pro-life uh, centers and so forth. So, you know, 
it just runs like the that. gamut of what they want to do. Yeah. So it depends on uh, different churches. But give us a story about something that you have started or, or you've helped helped one of the Calvary chapels start, say, a post-abortion uh, ministry or even um, a pregnancy center. Oh, yeah. Um, there have been um, a couple of churches in California that thought, well, if Calvary Chapel Chino Hills can, because um, that's my home church, if they have these pro-life centers connected to there, well, we, you know, because Pastor Jack is definitely an inspiration to many people. Right. So, um, and that's, if we can do it, you guys can do it too. Exactly. You need to save babies' lives too. Yeah. So anyway, um, we'll help you. And that's basically, it. it's very simple. Um, so uh, for example, um, New Jersey, the um, <coughs> Lloyd Police Church out there, he, um, <coughs> sorry, no, it's a, they started a um, pregnancy care ministry there as well. And um, um, Hawaii, there's a Calvary Chapel Pearl Harbor. Um, there was a church in Maui. And um, yes. So um, anyway, that was just basically it. It was just word of mouth and whatever they, um, you know, whatever anybody needs, I can just help them. Yeah. So that's what God's done. It doesn't mean everybody is, you know, um, is going to have to do that. You know, once you get healed from your abortion, you can go and continue your, your other ministries and so forth. It doesn't mean God's going to throw you in front of the steps of the Supreme court to share your testimony, which, which I've gotten to do. So, Sorry. No. Wow. Yeah. So, um, but um, just to let you know, yesterday I got a text message from somebody at Calvary Chino Hills and we have this um, ministry called love life there. And I heard that three babies were saved yesterday from in front of the abortion clinic, three moms from aborting their babies. Wow, that's wonderful. I was so excited to get that news because I'm like, I'm talking about that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I, I met some of the people from that ministry um, because they had, I think that they were monthly out mm -hmm. in the courtyard. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, I picked up their cards too. Yeah. Um, but that was after I talked to you. No, I think it was before. No, after I talked to you about mm -hmm. the show. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> thank you so much for sharing. Sorry, audience, about the coughing. But I do want to talk to the people out there that have had an abortion. Or maybe you've thought about it. Or maybe you've asked your girlfriend to have an abortion and, and you followed through with that. I, our God covers the sin of everything we've done, from the littlest thing to what people think is a huge thing, and it is. God covers a multitude of sins. And not only that, but he wants to heal you of the things that we've done in the past. It may not just be abortion, or it may not be abortion at all. It may be things that you've done that they, you've now feeling the consequence of. God is there not to just save you, but to heal you too of whatever it is. And if you're that person that have, I mean, we've all sinned. We've all, Norma's a sinner. I've, I've sinned. We've all come from, <clears throat> we all have a past. But God wants to make our future different and forgive us of our past. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we make a 180 degree turn on this road that he's putting us on, <clears throat> forgiving us of the sins of the past, and some of the sins, as Norma experienced, needed help. She needed counseling for that. That was outside of just, you know, helping with the Bible. She needed to get in front of a group and really forgive herself for that. God already forgave it, forgave, forgave her when she accepted the Lord. But the need to actually forgive herself and be, be able to live again, without this dark cloud following her. That's what, that may be what you're in. God will forgive us for all of that. If you're that person today that have either had an abortion or feel that you've done some things in your past that God will never forgive you for because you picture him as being this God that will just hit you over the head. <clears throat> or you've asked your girlfriend to have an abortion and you're sorry for that. If you would like to accept Jesus as your Savior for the first time today, follow me in this very simple prayer. Now, knowing that you're going to have to mean this prayer, it's not 
a ritualistic prayer that is going to get you through. It's going to be heartfelt. You say it, but you mean it. And if that's you today, follow me in this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me of the sins of my past, present, and future. Today, I would like to accept you as my Savior. Today, I want to follow you. Help me to be on that track with you. Help me to forgive myself of the things that I've done. Help me for forcing others to commit sins that I wanted them to do for me, to be in a better place. Lord, help me in my walk with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus died on the cross for the whole world, and he died for you. If you've said a prayer like that or similar to that, to ask Jesus to be your Savior and you'd like to tell someone, call us here at Hope Radio. Or you can go on to the website, On the Road with Jesus, and leave me a message there. Or you can call us at 951-817-0094, and we will help you with the Bible, help you to find a good church. If that's what you'd like to do today, please let us know. Thank you for joining us, Norma, and thank you for joining us here on the road with Jesus. Bye for now. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com, spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com, or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project, Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher.